December 31st. Yeah, New Year's Eve. D- New Year's Day Eve. New Year's Eve Day. It's cold. One of these days, it's, a, it's, a, it's the day of thresholds. It is, uh, yeah. In terms of the calendar, that's where one of the functions of Janus should have renewal things in the spring, man. I think it's a broken culture. It's like, what do you what do you do in the middle of the winter? You just drink yourself into stupor. There's an article talking about this in the paper today about, you know, I don't know. Is that cynical thing about like all holidays are stupid? That's like always a good, you know, re- ready article for a given holiday, right? But um. It was, it was just sort of making this case that, like, you know, good classical cultures, I don't know, had, had like, renewals practices in the spring, you know, and, like, that's when the calendar flipped over. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny. I feel like a lot of things, doesn't the federal year flip over later, like, closer towards the spring? And um, I know that's a, a little goofy, but, you know, like, so far as... And that's, that's what they call, like, the fiscal calendar. Right. right. It's just interesting so to me. That's a different, a... It's a different thing entirely, but... Um, it just strikes me that there's a there's there would there would be something nice in having like a spring a springtime kind of you know I don't know like a lot of a lot of the religious celebrations of springtime are about are about renewal and growth and development but the you know insofar as there's a civic renewal or rollover it's it's the federal year right um, that I guess does does roll over. I guess it's when tech is tax day, right? Like April fifteen or whatever. Yeah, I mean that's at least the annual. That's when. That's when we get assessed. But it's it's interesting, right? I mean, if I talked to my dad about this, you know, if you if we're paying paying personal taxes, although we could pay quarterly, we generally file once a year right. in April. But a lot of businesses have to, you know, function on a different timeline, which is this more quarterly system where they do their. And then the year-end kind of wrap-up of everything. But, you know, I, I guess it's interesting that you're describing the what we need is a more institutionalized ritual celebration of the passage into... Or like a, a more carefully oriented with, I guess, the natural cycles of, of the environment um, and the, just the ambient temperature levels it would be nice to have big gathering celebration when it's actually warm enough to be outside in most places um i think was the gist of the article that i'm that i'm really relate relaying that that was basically complaining about new year's as a holiday being being placed where it is right in the death and it's and it seems to you know i don't know a lot, of, a lot of it seems to be just accidental agglomeration right of these different things and we get we get a bunch of holidays clumped together and it kind of becomes a becomes a season, and that and that has this social use, right? Where people are like, okay, well, everybody else is going to be off. I'm going to have this space we can plan together to to do things that aren't aren't work. Um, well, it, it is interesting how the the calendar. Yeah, I mean how it's divided up. That the Janus January is supposed to be the the turning of, of a. It's a crossing of a threshold from sure. the old year to the new year, and yet the old year begins and ends in, as you said, kind of at the start of winter, at least how we, uh, right after the, um, what, you've got the 
the winter solstice or whatever. Yeah. And so it's it is. So it's interesting that the year, and the calendar year begins and ends, in. Uh, yeah. With the beginning of winter, and, and as you said, not with the, with spring, and it and it's it's because there is the the hope of spring, right? There's the promise of right of that rollover into. And it, you know, consecrated with fertility rites and all of that stuff. That's, you know, it's because we're, or at least primitively, uh, in the same rhythms as the rest of nature, which goes through the, you know, the, especially coordinates with like the rebirth of vegetation. Um, right. No, I like the, I like the cycle of Janus. To face one towards the past, one towards the future, which is right. like the thing about you know trying to have, have cunning, use strategy, and and plan, planning your life. I think it, it maybe stands for this impulse about like, or at least this is what I'm taking away from like the the, the Roman context of, of Janus in January. I don't know. It seems like there's a you know orderly, methodical. In, you know, an in, in, in implication of trying to align yourself to a kind of universal or cosmic time and to, to try to find a way to make your determination as cunning as that of, of the chain, the multiplicity of the world that is always, always and ever, always and ever changing. Um, and I guess, I guess there's something about winter where it's like it's after death but before birth. Um, it's like in this weird, yes. weird kind of right. meta- metaphysical middle pl- place, right? Um, and there's there's something anonymizing just about uh, the snows. Kind of, uh, it's kind of interesting to to experience that. It's, it's just phenomenologically, I think, just as people, snows like it's an important. It's a cool thing. Like it's, uh, I, I worry we're gonna we're gonna leave our children soggy, snowless. <laughs> Winners with a with a with a swiftly warming planet. Um, it's it's interesting to also think of, you know, we're we're in a temperate climate, and so we experience the changing of the seasons different than say, um, places closer to the equator, right? I just think of the weather of the desert. We talk about cold, but it's it's interesting because, you know, pretty much year round, it's going to be extreme heat by day and then extreme cold by night just the way that the um there's less just the way that the 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 barren ground retains and keeps heat is much different than um just so i was just thinking of of they might experience see what what's what's a what are the passing of the seasons like in a desert versus you know where we live and uh, I, I suppose that maybe the heat during the day would be less extreme, and, and it's that's like the best right. case scenario. But would the wouldn't the nights then be, on the other hand, more extreme on the cold side? So uh, yeah, and how about places where it's like the sun never sets, right? Like yeah. there's weird just owing to the 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 ge- geophysics of, of the planets, right? The solar system, right? That you're, you've got these weird effects. On it's towards the poles, right? Uh, right, because they're like around the, around the imaginary axis around which we're right. spinning. If you think about getting closer to the top of that sphere or towards the bottom of it, like towards where the imaginary line would, you could see it shooting off from the horizon, right. the, the, the sun will 
appear never to set or to get locked into these different big spiral orbits or all right so is, yeah so like you think about um towards the poles and towards the middle towards the belt towards the equator you start to have it's less of a annual seasonal change and much more of a kind of um constant alteration of you know day and night it becomes a uh, it's interesting the revolution around the sun is affecting it less you know just in its in the exposure in the in the play of the elements and so I guess the prospect of spring in the extremes the extreme metal extreme poles is you know they would it's like what what spring I guess so it's kind of interesting that it's it's I mean, in the median parts of yeah, the hemisphere yeah. between the pole and the belts <clears throat> on you know that we have a, a, a nuance have the differentiation of the seasons much more pronounced. You seem to be talking mostly about like strictly m- meteorological indications and like atmospheric things about the temperature, but I think about the natural world, right? Like even if you're just attuned to cycles in the animals, those are still plugged in to the global temperature routing system that, sure, right. that that includes things that are I don't know e- even in biomes that are cold I think there's still you know annual cycles like you were saying like maybe it's only 50 degrees in below versus 70 but maybe that's enough for certain things to start warming up or I don't know anyway but I, I it, it, it strikes me there's still ways to tune in to the annual cycle even if for whatever reason, you're at a place on the sphere where it's like the the heat cold isn't be enough on its own to, to, I don't know, to make much of a difference to human beings. I don't know. No, I it, <clears throat> just think also about how, you know, weather shapes the pattern of like my, the migration of birds totally. is kind yeah. of interesting. Um, and it's partly because avian birds are this interesting, like, reptile-mammal hybrid. So even if they have a warm-blood, warm-blooded uh, system like mammals, they still lay eggs like reptiles. And I wonder if, uh, you know, trying to stay with, move migrating, you know, in the winter... To the warmer parts is a part of also their reproductive cycle. That it, you know, it's the it's the lizard in them that needs the warm, uh, the warm uh, for their for their young for their for the hatching of their eggs and yeah. and whatnot. Uh, but then with with humans, it's something similar. Like Rousseau has this interest he, in his theory of language. He also has to reimagine the. Uh, spread of humans across the globe and the uh, our genesis is in you know the warm regions and then um, you know due to our technological advancements and our ability to manipulate the environment to make us suitable for colder climates this is how he talks about the the spread and diversification of of languages Uh, it's a it's kind of a rewriting of the of the Tower of Babel, but it has to. But he takes through a kind of, you know, an anthropological mode. But this is also where he 
he's famous for the the noble savage or whatever and he this is part of that uh, also his theory of the uh, development of of inequality right he's he's thinking through yeah, these anthropological he, you, uh, you it's funny I feel like we keep re- returning to this this theme and this image of Rousseau's if I'm not wrong it's like it's a celebration right and there's the comp- the, the primordial competition image is like between who can who can dance the best who can sing and dance and celebrate it's it, he he almost there's a there's a in in Rousseau one way to read his works is with this notion of the après coup it's the after event right it's the after the fact and there's there's always like a an imperceptible shift an event that occurs because for it's not that there were competitions it's that everybody around, gathered around the fire or the fountain or they're all celebrating life and it's after the fact there's this shift in like in consciousness development of, of awareness where suddenly uh, people become aware of the differentiations in valuating others and it's from the most abstract to someone can sing better and someone can dance better that there's these it's that moment of of um, the creation of values that coincides with the moment of, of not only consciousness but it's it's recognition because what he's what's playing out is is the moment of recognition where my my self-love my almor probe is 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 wounded by the awareness of a of a value difference in uh, these ways of living these ways of celebrating and and that spitballs snowballs into that's what I'm going to say kind of exponentially snowballs into the creation of various um, valuations and Nietzsche's clear on this too where he talks about prestige being a a uh, having being a source of value almost in a different mode than capital but similar to it that there's we talk about political capital there's you know this capital of prestige in that sense that is um, you know it's I think it's it's this this interesting question that Spinoza has about how envy is a negative affect and it is a reactionary uh, affect. It is a reactionary mode, and for that's what Rousseau sees it as, right? It's a reactionary consequence of like reversible um, recognition, and you know, for Spinoza, envy should be if if we are if our intellect is you know amended enough, corrected enough to see that in fact. Um, you know, as Nietzsche says, envy is a is something that pretends to equalize where there is no equal, right? And Nietzsche's kind of like when he talks about great people, he's you know he's kind of saying uh, these types we're not supposed to envy them because uh, in a certain way there is an inequality that needs to be addressed, and that that makes him partly aristocratic, but it's it, but it's also his whole metaphysics of of values. Yeah, right? I mean, there's something about like if if I were put into the same Position would I make the same decisions, but I don't have the same qualities and abilities, so the com- the comparison itself is 
false. Right. That's that's what that's one of the things he sees wrong in democratization, and I think utilitarianism too. On a different end, is this making equal of that which is not equal. Um, William Blake is sensitive to this in his poetry. He's very Nietzschean when he says, you know, one one law for the ox and the lion is oppression. Um, you know, and then it becomes a question of what do you mean by by laws? I mean, we can talk about what we would say natural, physical, and obviously political laws. It's you know to push it beyond there. But yeah, that's, that's, for Nietzsche, it's the same thing, right? That that this abstract equalization, and this is the movement of capital of values breaking down differences. Um, I think it's there's positive aspects to seize upon because Nietzsche is especially when it comes to the races he's he's saying more more mixing more right. more miscegenation um, because for him I think in the end uh, it's not about if, if if there is a racial quality to it um, for Nietzsche the expression of values and the creation of great peoples is probably furthered by mixing certain types that seem to... Right. And not, and not yeah. just even in extracting, you know, good traits, right? Which is, they're, you know, th- that, that, that is a benefit, right? <laughs> like, just at the species level, right? Like, but it's, it's also that, that we benefit from the fusion and confusion of cultures, I guess would be maybe yeah. the, the flip side of it, right? But... Yeah, it's 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 interesting, but in, in, in a strictly similar way, in that we can select, you know, excellent traits from each culture to to embody to create a, a an, an improved, you know, a yes, socius. And that's and, and that's the interesting with with Nietzsche. Culture is something that is about collective investments of the unconscious that have to do with the the milieu in which that culture. Evaluates the the thing that Nietzsche critiques the Germans for as a people when he talks about their cultivatedness right. instead of their culture is the second order meta culture that it's all it's it all tries to it tries to do as you're saying choose from the best of all cultures but it doesn't knit them into a, a into an expressive whole that has to do with the pressures of their societal. Um, Union is is facing. So he, for him, he thinks that that's a you know, and he reads this in the same critique as the genealogy of morals, where this this is a kind of a morality that is, in and of itself, um, not in direct relation with with the milieu, and so it's this false morality, and therefore it, it morality in, in in the sense that he negatively uses it, it's it's a being untruthful to one's own drives, right, and it's a uh, it's to enact a kind of reactionary domestication, and so this is one of the reasons why uh, to truly get past a cultivated enough to a culture, there has to be a putting into question of values and testing of values, a testing of of idols, and as for their appropriateness for a for a life. Um, now, for Nietzsche, it's, it's definitely he always talks about it in terms of the peoples. Because that's what the unconscious is pop- populated by. But for Deleuze, he also tries to extend this for um, the individual, and this is what I think he means by "imminence of life" is the uh, 
this movement of that also implies individuation and, and implies the individual's own ability to to reevaluate and not to be unworthy of what happens to us to I think way we're truthful to ourselves and also hopefully truthful collectively is is by undertaking what they call schizoanalysis it is to unmoor ourselves from that Oedipal rock and which also means from our current political um, structural normalization of you know of of sort of our mixing of reactionary and progressive politics to putting into question the, the sort of old bodies upon which our collective investments are going. And in the 20th century, we've seen a lot. We, we have come a long way in the 20th century, if we think about, and we have a lot more to go, obviously, but if you think about the, the collective investments and movements of empowering all sorts of minorities, at least ideally, if not always in practice, at least there is the possibility of sure of that. And Man, the, it's it's funny. Like the way you led up to that, it got me thinking, almost almost the opposite. I kind of thought you were okay. going to go somewhere else. Where I thought you were going to go was saying that we've accepted an awful lot of hard right fascist predicates about the priority of the market over human life um, in in the. 20th and 21st century, even despite the fall of, of explicit hard right kind of ideology, definitely within our lifetime, I think. Um, well, it, just that it's even, gone even aggressively within, right. I guess. No, no, totally. Uh, and, and look, I mean, things are whatever. Things are getting better. I don't know what it, I don't know what that ultimately means, but I, I mean, it's good that it's, it's getting better for certain people. I, I, I just. I definitely sympathize with people who are who are on the fence and voting for these weird third parties and who are like, you know, I, I mean, I th in other words, I think I think it boils down to like we we are given the I don't know these this, these least common denominator options at the end of the day, and obviously you have to do broad broad tents to sustain this crazy two party system, but it ends up being like, you know, which which party has less fascist predicates in their in their makeup right like or that they which will make less compromises to the market and to capital you know and 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 leave human life and 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 mortgage the, our future less yeah right it, i mean it becomes this thing of like minimizing the the harm done and it's like i mean again because they're fascist predicates it's harm to the body it's harm to the people and we and look, I mean, I get it. It's like we, we want to minimize harm. We're, I mean, I'm utilitarian, pragmatic enough for that, right? Like, and look, I'll vote, I'll vote Democrat, even if it means supporting the war machine and everything, and the and the in the existing structure of class exploitation and everything else. But you know, I mean, again, it's this thing of like, in lieu of r radical, all-encompassing solutions, that I feel like we can barely even get the breath to speak about together, and and it's still it still feels like. There's something radical even about proposing that such a such a space of ideation exists. Um, I don't know. Now, now I'm tending to talk about how they're how they're dissolving the university. But but you you, you said something about like the cultivatedness, right? Yeah. And, and like at w and at what point can and I, and I took that to mean almost philosophy, and for and for you to be almost retelling like through Nietzsche, a uh, kind of Laurelian critique. 
almost or something like this of like you know what well the history of philosophy definitely would be right i mean in its in its practice in its in it, i guess in its reductive form if you reduce it to what Laura Welk would consider its essence yeah it, it, it constructs a a type of cultivatedness that um, if it on the one hand can try to just allow for a space for each philosophical thought to articulate itself in a kind of progression um, but for the most part has to eventually evolve uh, different ways of synthesizing and playing voices off one another. So there's a, in terms of philosophy's own existence, history of philosophy is a vital function, is a natural outgrowth. Um, but in the way Laura Well sees it, you know, it's just, it's just another. It's an, it's a, it's actually an expression, concrete expression of a symptom of philosophy itself, and which is. To, there, there can always be more philosophy. That's kind of the almost the me, the meme ethics of, of of philosophy. And uh, when I say, I guess for Nietzsche, cultivatedness is is a is a is a negative insofar as it is a kind of false unity. And and there are, you know, I think he would he saw coming, but he. he he saw one of the ways that co this cultivatedness expressed itself on the biopolitical realm is obviously in the threat of fascism and the threat of a type of, especially a fascism founded on something like a fear of the other and a demonization of the other in, in anti-Semitism. And so it's... it's, it's, it's but with it's, help from like a perverted, yeah. broken academy that was you know excited about gross ideas about eugenics and all this stuff yeah I don't know, incidentally people seem to be rethinking that today too right that maybe gene editing isn't so bad if you can if you can cure these like these awful diseases that otherwise are hard but you can just flip off a gene why not and, right you know why I think it's, it's also the threat that insofar as Germany doesn't have its like he'll he'll even play them off the French or the Italians and kind of Say there, it, it's 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 a trying to like emulate and synthesize these great cultures, and Germany is almost this this epigon. This he's it's a forerunner. It's got an anxiety of in influence, and it tries to allay that anxiety just by, you know, continuing to take from the best. And so it doesn't have its own kind of internal coherent culture. And I mean, this is also the fate of the Germans going from the anti-Roman. You know, barbarian uprising, which also happened in France too, but you know, to, to, in this very late stage, making a nation out of these principalities, um, and that's that's an. You talking about the? You talking about the? I mean, the, the, the German revolution. The, the original. Well, the original creation of the nation state of, of what we call Germany, and it's in its kind of unified. Right. It, it coincides with you know it's 1870. This is this is Nietzsche's already. I mean, what he writes—is it seventy-two where he writes *Birth the Tragedy*? This is when this is Nietzsche's form of years, and he talks a lot about Germany in this context. And because it's it's got a cultivatedness and not a true culture, because it is a it's a nation state so late, it doesn't have this the same relation to its past that the other nations do, 
and, th- and I think Nietzsche saw the, the, what he feared was that cultivatedness to become a unified culture could, could possibly right. do it in this violent He's, way. He saw the, the void that a psychoanalytic... That's right. A psychoanalytic... That's exactly right. So this, equation would have to balance. So, that's, so right. it's possibly that's how it could inject and could be, could desire in its uh, because it, because it's because it's, I think Nietzsche saw also the yoking of its its warmongering with and and potential for warmongering with its anti-Semitism and that becoming well I mean think of his relation with Wagner and his falling out with Wagner. He Wagner is this. He at first for Nietzsche he is he exemplifies the future of uh, a German nationality because he he is he embodies genius and he's he is expressing a sort of unity of of the national moment but then you know Nietzsche begins to see the other side of that right? the other side of that that is that is and that's what he that's the main thing he has a falling out for him right. And also that he um, makes this, he makes stupidity out to, or ignorance out to be a virtue. There's a part of this critique that Nietzsche develops, and I'm not, I'm not as no, it's very, it's a very reactionary, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and Nietzsche sees this as if it is the expression of Germany. He does criticize Germany in, Germany in these ways. Then it's, it's the, it, it portends ill for. And possibly this is why he's like, no, I'm, you know, I'm Polish, not German, right? He even undertakes this de-Germanification <laughs> right. of himself and disavowing. I mean, think about his first job is it's it's in Switzerland. I mean, he's always kind of been on outside, right, looking in, and um, it's the, it's this also animates his critique of Christianity. That's one of the things that he he sees as problematic is this way in which German Christianity is a kind of stultifying force in its unifying nature. And that's what he sees in Wagner as a kind of Christian supremacist, you know, uh, warmongering dumbing down of the German people. It is this dumbing down of the German people that almost seems to coincide also with its its its, its capacity. Can I say feeding them a, a hateful warrior Jesus who will lead them yeah, on, you, uh, onto... You brought up warrior Jesus earlier. This is, I mean, it's just a, a, yeah. a, a, a perversion of Christ. We were, we were we were talking about, like, you know, how, how, how badly you need to read the New Testament to, like, get some of the uglier things out of it. I don't know, but at the same time, there's all these things that are, I think they're going to be hard for us because they're attached to core faith traditions, right? Like, it's 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 funny, like, right? I feel like, at least outside of the East, where I guess you do have caste systems written in, there's, there's, there's not much, and there is a strong anti-slavery element of some of the cortex of, of the Western, you know, like the... I don't know, but I think ultimately, like, no religion is really in favor of slavery or at least race-based or any of this stuff, although... Well, you they, think it, Christianity was used to prop up and argue for and apologize for sure, slavery for a Sure, but long again, time. I mean, this strikes me as like, and look, maybe in the future it'll be like, look, you know, all the all the negative stuff about homosexuality and all the various faith traditions is gonna. It just strikes me that that's a tougher one. That that's that's gonna be. We I feel like we won it very quickly, 
right? Like we have a lot of the progressive game because I think this is one of the things you're talking about. The things yes. that, that have gotten better, and if it's it's the treatment of so-called sexual minorities, right? Like and sort of handling thinking about this better as a culture, but I. I don't think I like I, I don't know I, I wonder like there is the, the well there's the fun court case playing out about the cake about whether the baker yes has to bake the cake that for the gay couple and you know it's not like it's a it's a giant dildo it's just a normal wedding cake right like it doesn't have to I don't know it's it's kind of maddening a little bit but like at the same time I think it, it points to there is this thing in the culture around it there's the at least in traditional religious kind of faith traditions right like there is a core kind of con- concern about locking down, you know, kind of sexual desire in different ways that I think is different than, than the race or the class struggle. I think this is one of the interesting things about just intersection is that each of, each, of these, each of these axioms in democracy, right, that includes a different minoritarian kind of s- segment, sec- mm-hmm. sector, it, it, it refers to a whole sector of reality, right? Like there's a whole series of different territories that attach attach to it right right and the word you said segment is 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 fundamental because there is this and you can see it in the history of feminism and it's different waves but there is this this whole question of you know capitalism capital benefits by segmenting off little identity groups that it try in its segmentarity belies the fact that these minority and pos- minoritarian positions are all linked in a in the same long term potentially you know movement towards justice for all um, and so the but the segmentarity of those minority those ind- ind- uh, those identity groups is it can also be used to like pit them against each other and so you and you see this in I saw this in no, no, it's advertisements totally. pitting, yeah, yeah. pitting, pitting race and and gender and uh, pitting each little category as as no, we can, discordant with yeah, yeah. with others in in a way that um, we can we can expect the market and capital to be relentless in decoding and sl- and slicing us based on these can I think ultimately fairly superficial transparent you know or I don't know like things that should not should not ultimately block social cohesion. I mean, it, 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 at some point, I think it, it, it is just this thing of we're too, we, we want to bug other people too much. We're too interested in other people's business. You need to, you need to stop putting your blithering and your trouble on every right. other person in the world. Just like, just, just take it down a notch. But I think it's, what is it, Freud talks about narcissism of tiny differences, of the small, yes. small differences. I mean, you're like over, I mean, and Deleuze talks about it, like so many of our social problems boil down to this, like, this psychic feature of human beings that we're, we're too automatic about like just wanting to go and attach to other people and bug them all the time and it's like just relax just well it's, it's, it's interesting that like Nietzsche tries to seize upon early on this uh, the, the mediator between between differences and he sees this in the atheist right that there potentially could be and it's, and it's the positive aspect of atheism of not wanting to privilege um, this certain specific differences, right? For example, a religious type. I mean, which would have been one of the key categories in the uh, in the ancient world, and getting into the modern world is is you know, and it's same in like the Greek and the Gentile kind of thing, and but the 
No, it's interesting because that's that's the key to unlocking at least the one about sexual desire and like right. the the question of the the freedom of sexual minorities has to do with you know no, I want to say less I mean like the atheist can act as a mediator but like the result of the atheist should be nuns mm. like that we're just non really you know what I mean like at the end of at the end of like when atheism has actually started dissolving these these bigger. But I mean, I think there is a real, real question that I think Nietzsche's whole philosophy kind of circles around, which is like, well, what to do with this, this huge gaping void that desire has been constructed into and that without religion, you know, can, can turn cancerous, right? Like, how do we turn it into a glorious, luminous body without organs? How do we find a better, you know, higher tonality of, of spirit, right. right? This is, I think, the core of it. Yeah, and I'm also just thinking of the interesting difficulty in Alliance, say, although it's probably shifting now, but I'm just, uh, you know, you think of the civil rights movement for um, different ethnicities than the Caucasian. I mean, it's it's interesting how uh, traditionally, stereotypically, um, African-American families and Latino families have very strong Christian backgrounds. One, I mean, for African Americans, it was the strength that Christian religion gave them to endure and persevere in the face of oppression. And for Latinos, it is um, mainly a, a, a product of imperialism that, is, that spread Catholicism to become a dominant force. In any case, a lot of times, traditionally, those strong Christian values that have been uh, inherited by the by the by those ethnicities causes them to be against no totally the struggle of, yeah, yeah yeah it's a it's and it's so like it's, that game yeah. rush hour where all the cars are like pegged against each other and this is this is this is what right. resentment and envy turns us into right? and there could like, easily be yeah. be be you know homosexuals queers LGBTQ that that are obviously for the betterment of their Applied and the equality of their plight that might also hold racist views. Well, this is this and is where I think that's the paradox is, of, of allowing for the for minorities to. But, but this not is be this is where you need like critical intersectional thinking yeah. to go and see the conjuncture of these different pl- right. planes of reality and how do we make a home together with yeah. you know that like can can sustain without overdetermining the the different lines and and permit some kind of life together. I mean, I, I again, I think. This is why we have to fight the market dissolution of the academy and of democracy, right? Like, again, when democracy is like you get to pick which, you know, form, it's market democracy is the way Badu talks about it, right? You don't get to, right. the choice you don't get is a different kind of world that doesn't, you know, like value the the treatment of the sick with the same currency as it, as it values you know, widgets built in a factory. And I, I, I don't know, obviously some of those widgets are are drugs for the sick, right? Are are is medical instruments, right? So, you, you you've got to account for its production. I I, yes. I, I I get it, somehow. But like we, we've we, we've got we've got to think about different, big picture, different ways to organize the world. Because I, I, mm. I think we really are at a point where we have, the productive capacity and the and the, the the crystallized you know like intelligence, right? Like condensed down into to superconducting circuits, right? Like where we really could could turn the production process in different directions, build it so that it's automatic, just producing all the time for everyone. I don't know, it's a huge investment in, in infrastructure, but it would, it would yield such, such benefits, especially if it's built along 
along green lines, and I don't know. We we need a global effort. This is. I mean, I think this is the the scale of planetary ethics, but it feels feels a little void without institutions that can actually apply those norms. I, I, right. Okay. So how about this? It's a new year, right? Like in whatever spring or it's a, it's a good Janus moment, right? Like. So I think we, we're in the middle of a re-norming, right? Even a, tr- a trans-norming, if you if you will. I, I, I don't know. Trans-evaluation like, of a trans-valuation. A trans-valuation of values, yeah. And it's like sexual harassment on the one hand, and then like the virtues of democratic governance on the right. other, right? Like, and I think it's it's at least surprising that both are both are coming up in one. I mean, I think on the one hand, like you don't actually have controversy over sexual harassment and abuse. I mean, it's I, I, I don't know. Like, I guess there's there's a handful of people who are like making token arguments about like you know oh maybe we're we're getting and like and look it, as it drags on and, and drags in more people of different degrees of severity there is more rationality to the argument about like aren't we a society where we actually you know have degrees of differentiation between different kinds of iniquities and sure. you know like one accuser and in, in of in a, in a low severity, maybe that's a different thing than like 10 accusers in high severity and blah, blah, you know, maybe we actually do have to start doing some calculus there. But I'm not, again, I'm not sure there's like a disagreement that people have formally around it, right. which I think is actually good because there actually are people on the other side of that argument. And it's really good that we're taking a decisive cultural swing, you know, in favor of, of what they say, believing, believing the women. But it's, like it's the return of the repressed, right? right. But this, it, this moment, but uh, yeah, this threshold moment, uh, just of of um, not only women women's voices being taken more seriously in terms of the accusations, but even the the the, the lifting of the supposed um, silencing and different various ways of co-opting women's ability to not only articulate uh, their being violated, being harassed, et cetera, but also to be taken seriously. I mean, that's part of the return of the repressed is, is their ability to be taken seriously and therefore the culminated release of the pressure to, to silence them in various ways or to keep them silent or to um, ignore their voices if they don't stay silent. And just the fact that they can not only be taken more seriously, but therefore more um, people can come forward, men and women, to to be taken seriously, to, to have their accusations heard. Um, now, this obviously could be taken advantage of and, and, and has been in the past uh, in some cases, but, uh, you know, those... We can all, I think it's trust but verify. Trust and allow to speak, but, you know, obviously no, verify to the extent that it can be. And right. I mean, it's funny. It strikes me as the same thing as, as you know, capital and, and unequal distribution of the fruits of production is that, like, if you sort of think it through, it really implies a whole different structure of power and labor in the organization of society. If you really think through the, the way the, again, I mean, it's Oedipus, right, with all the sexual harassment stuff it's this abuse of power and the and the exploitation of people who don't have as much power as you and i mean that that really that really is the core of it and it's and it's the the over it's the perverse overlaying of sexual desire on top of that it's the libidinal yeah. underbelly of capital it is the, it is the same thing it's like part of how capital works are these kind of quote unquote contractual relations right. 
and, and you know and again at the social level it's like oh it's consensual but it's like but the, the it's the power matrix behind it right yeah. like and oh, the, yeah, and, the, yeah. and the in, basically the industrialized you know like a, a, abuse but you're right it is a shifting of power relations especially between men and women in the workplace and and in those types of relationships that um, women especially have been able to get rid of a certain double bind right of not only you know being violated but then having to weigh you know will I be heard and how will I be punished for speaking out how will I how what would the backlash be um and then having to be in the position of being believed as a victim, you know, so it's having to fight for for an illegal sense, right? Uh, in a in the way that uh, Leah for, for, e- for even standing to dis- to talk to a to d- disclose a wrong. Yeah, yes, right? exactly. Yeah. How can and, and then the question of of the damages received, and if so, if the damages are denied, um, then how can they be a victim because they haven't suffered any wrong? Or the wrong that they are alleging to have suffered is undermined. I think of the way that the Old Testament think, uh, talks about women being raped and the punishments they should be put to. Uh, you know, if they're in the city, why didn't she cry out? If she was taken to to a field, then then obviously her purity is called into question in the first place. So you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And yeah, no, I, I don't wonder if this is part of what Nietzsche's getting at about beneath your songs of love and light. There's a lot of sexual cruelty bound up in sure. the in the morality of the Old Testament, and and it's and it's reeked. I know the New Testament it's, too. It's reeked a lot of ha- no t- with Paul totally the way that Paul subordinates women for the most part. It's it's destroyed a lot of people's lives and spirits. You know what I mean? Like it it really has been a huge collective weight on the heart and the unconscious of the human race in some ways, right? Like and. There, 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 there might be a, a, a different way of, I don't know, like this is sort of like, at the end of the day, what seems to me like what Nietzsche is at least holding out the possibility for is that, you know, even though the horizon seems, seems dark without some moral arbiter, right? Like that, you know, it's, it's free. It's at least open. We don't, we don't have to hold, bear the, bear the weight of that, of that supervisor always on the back of our neck, right? Like, I mean, there is a, I don't know. I worry about ubiquitous surveillance this way. The way the way it's so easy for us to transpose on, onto onto the state as a power figure. Right. But like today, it's almost like we have the opposite problem, where the the state is is slowly getting dissolved by the market. I think this is the real thing that right. that we're sort of that we're sort of seeing on a large scale is just this the slow dissolution in in a, in a wave of like acidic capital right it's like it's it's less a moralistic structure than like an amoralistic one that's dissolving it from it from inside the, the the whole concept of the 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 panopticon the panoptical society with surveillance states and it reminds me of it, this this technological of engineering the categorical imperative right i mean it's I idea yeah. <laughs> I, I know i think that starts one of the talks about it is like ideally the categorical imperative this which he turns into a kind of existentialist imperative is you know act as though all the eyes of the world is on you when you are acting so it is it is this weaving in to one's desire beforehand kind of prejudicing it with um thinking about what others would think yeah and and that's desire is the desire of the other as lacan puts it right that it that 
that in in this stage when jouissance gets wedded to surveillance um it incorporates it beforehand and at least but that's that's what i'm saying it tries to engineer that state of where our desire conforms with the universal law as a maxim because because you know uh we are we know we're being recorded we're yes we know we're being uh yeah exactly so it's um it's recording machines it it's it's pretty that means we have to take on a meta level of becoming conscious of our own performances right. of desire, our way of performing the law, a way of according to the law. Maybe this is where some cunning comes in, in terms of a superficial obedience, and even a, yeah. a too, with a too precise obedience, you can you can access pleasures the law is trying to, to forbid. I mean, Zizek's great on this. This is yeah. one of the, the best things he does um, when he's he's thinking about um, his the Soviet past of Czechoslovakia, the right. Czech Republic, and I mean, I, you know the the little anecdote he tells about the <clears throat> writing the letters and knowing that they're that the letters are being read, and um, so it uses sort of uh, this heightened like. It's like a code inversion. within in a code almost yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. It has to have, and, and, it remi- it, and it's very similar. I don't know if he talks about it in this way, but it reminds me very much of the way Freud talks about censorship, right? In terms of the way that the the threshold or the pre-conscious threshold, how it allows us to discharge the images, um, discharge through dreams this Cathected libidinal energy and do it in such a way it's build up. We're like pregnant with too much energy or information. Right? Everything yeah. has to pass, and in order to, I think you're gonna say it's yeah. like a post office that like the guy's checking the zip code on each letter as it comes in, making sure it's it's actually for you. It's actually relevant. Right. Passing that up one layer of consciousness to another guy who's doing the same thing and checking. But it's even it's 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 almost as though too that it's not just a checking. It, the sensor is also a he's a it's a molder it's a very there's a very technical operation going on of yeah. displacement and distortion and the other various the dream mechanisms where it's it's as though dream thoughts dream contents have to coincide and how it's like molding a brick right that the and there's, dream, an, there's yeah. an interconnection and routing and and it's this this weird thing about dream logic is the pre-preparation of parts and elements yeah, right. and like they're for in order to immediately deploy a whole complicated series of things, and there's a know. there's a superposition of images and and, and and thoughts in the making of the dream contents, yeah, and and so encoded within what passes the sensor is the unconscious elements that Freud basically says that's what the dream that's what interpretation of dreams and also as alongside analysis is set to do right is to is to look at the superposition, the seriality of the elements of the uh, the various affects that are that have encoded within them the the links that are cut off through repression, the links that are not that are right. severed. No, no, that's nice, and it yeah. shows how dreams are fulfillment. That that even how desire is yes. is productive, it's positive. Desire is a kind of fulfillment in this way. Like it's not a lack. You're not missing right. something, despite 
how how it's been constructed this way and even how like the psychic architecture of humans at this point you know has long been molded around this and so i mean i, I don't know i think this is one of the things about just like living a you know thinking about micro micro fascism and micro politics is like how to how to maintain positivity given the like the enormous negativity of of the of the surroundings and, and, it, and it sort of reminds me of this thing it's almost the inverse of like the camera rule or the always act like you're on you know you're you're being watched but like when your actions can't possibly have a consequence right. this is something like Tanahasi Coates talks about that this is when you're beyond hope, this is where the ethical challenge sets in, right? Is precisely when your resistance can't have, you know, like any success. Do you give up or do you keep fighting? And it's that it's when you keep fighting that you can, in fact, embody the trans individual, right? And and connect up with something and act as a, a act as a source of hope, even if you can't right. act as a target right. of it, right? Something like this, right? Yeah, that's. I mean, Nietzsche with undertaking the burial of the of the fallen tightrope walker that is you know Nietzsche is faced with with death and this disparity between the tightrope walker's uh, beloved status during life and his immediate forget uh, forgetting upon death this interesting fleeting moment of the of, of what the crowd is 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 capable of and uh, that's the moment that he has to undertake kind of you know digging away within himself and uh, in his seclusion and you're right though it, it is to come back with a you know, with the reevaluation, it's very similar. Like you know, when you think of Moses coming, uh, coming back. Well, he comes back with with the commandments, and doesn't he? Doesn't he have to get them again because he breaks them upon seeing? He gets so mad. He gets so mad. He it has to receive of, them twice. He has. There is the, so embedded within the Jesus in the temple a little bit. Otherwise, he's not. It's, yeah. it's a different structure. And is it is it disputed? Is it interesting to know? Is like is. Are are those the same ten laws right. before and after? I'm I'm curious how the narrative goes, um, but in any case, yeah, the number one commandment is that they have to be the same laws. Well, I'm just interested. Not the same laws. You're uh, making me curious now. Well, I'm, I uh, the reason why I ask is because I assume Moses doesn't know he's going to come back to this to this moment where they have betrayed their right, and so the the first commandment is no other gods before me. And it does seem to be in response to the golden calf, yeah. the idol. But I don't know. I, it's interesting. Um, why the repetition, right? Why? Why? What's What's the significance of not just getting the 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 decalogue, the ten laws, yeah. once but twice? This. So l l let's circle back to norms real quick, um, and. So I mean, on the one hand, it's like we have the norms about how we, how we treat, you know, how, how we treat each other, how we how we treat like professional. It's, it's it's weird. We need better language for talking about this. I was gonna say people who are inferior, right? People who occupy subordinate professional positions to you, you know, and sort of like 
the talking the, about power relations, right? Yes. Like whether you know they may be even a client, right? In some cases, right. right? Like there's a lot of different configurations of this, right? And in fact, it's a it's a lot of women in a lot of roles, not just actors, obviously, right? Like it's I don't know. People like to bring up the it's the housekeepers, it's the people working in food service, you know, and in darkened conditions where it's like it's, oh sure, it's, it's you know I don't know. It's, it's easy to you know it's it's always easy. Because they're the most exaggerated forms of these types of generalized power relations in the workplace. Right. Right. And I mean, like, look, there's something like, obviously, third order monstrous about some of the particularities of the cases we're seeing. But I mean, it has to do with their magnified power in that space. Right. But there's a lot of places with that kind of asymmetrical power where people are facing possible exploitation and abuse. We do need new norms around it. I think the renorming is is positive. I guess I was just saying, like, there's other pieces of our normic infrastructure that also seem under attack. And, like, I don't know, I think there is this thing. We have to do this transvaluation. Like, okay, well, some of these things, they were bad, and we need to change them and to have good, you know. But I don't know. There's, like, a lot of... And now that I think about it, right, like... I mean, it, again, it's like it, it took these aggravations to, to, to some of these old systems for them, you know, like these excisions of like very particular like cancer centers, right? Like for them to be to begin to undergo transformation. But I think, I mean, it, it'll take it'll take time for the cultural change to work its way. I mean, I think we'll be digesting it for years. I think we've been digesting it for I mean, I think since Anita Hill in a certain way, we've been we've been yeah. kind of in this disorientated like. Well, how do we treat each other better? And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think we can come at it from a much more earnest place of building large-scale systems and incentives so that people don't have rampant control to abuse other people. Except that does sound utopian when I phrase it that way, right? Like, because well, it sounds it's, like. It's, but yeah. it's, it's to always towards a more perfect union. Totally. I mean, right. you're, you're, you're stating the ideal case, but you're also saying there's obviously work to be done that. that, that uh, that the conditions of possibility for justice need to be set in place, whether or not that justice is met or, or in other ways prevented. Like the, the threshold of making possible the addressing of, of, of damages and a, the, the status of victim yeah. in a concrete legalistic sense. Um, you know, if, if those are not there, then the... And that, as, I, as I said, it's, 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 it's a type of repression. It's a type of social... It's that interplay of Deleuze and Guattari make between social and psychic repression, you know, the way they reinforced each other. Sure. And if the conditions of possibility of addressing one's status as a victim is, isn't allowed, there's a kind of... That's the, in, that's the insult that follows the injury, right? That's part of... Um, abuse victims, rape victims coming and they have to kind of potentially live through a second rape of their of their dignity, of their equality as citizens, of their ability to sure, no to be recognized. Yeah. So that gets back back to Rousseau, I think, and the interesting thing about inequality, right, is is how does one's how one's status gets recognized and and this involves um Victimhood. This involves, you know, elevations of prestige, and obviously, um, the opposite of an elevation of prestige, right? This, you know, 
what just the the, the first slave right or the first captive the first sort of uh, the f- so we I'm talking, I'm talking about, about, about even before say like you know the Jews are able to to have this literature about this early origins of, of being a slave people but I mean even kind of prehistorically right I'm thinking even perhaps we think of the various species we've gone from you know where, where does is there a are there, are there taking captives in simian cultures and has it you know this interesting because obviously you know to Rousseau it's like well that's the that's the origin of inequality right is when when is the when is the slave possible when is the prisoner possible is a similar um, and I, question and, and I mean maybe the I guess the thing you're making me think is like the moral question which is like you know who is the victim or something like this right or like what is owed the victim or you know what is it what is owed what and is, is a prisoner what? of war a victim too right. that's a weird question you know the tribal warfare what is the status of the what does it mean to take custody of someone out and that involves also what's the relation of the familial unit in terms of authority no you you I feel like the the big concern you're raising or one of them anyway is about apparatus of capture I guess this is where I was going I was gonna yeah. try to. I was gonna try to go here. I don't know how, how clearly I can make it. Um, and maybe we should just take take a break. We've been sure. kind of at it for a while. But um, but the, the the quick thought would be maybe to bring it back to houses, right? About conjunction conjoining different planes, right? And this is kind of the thing the apparatus of capture needs to do, which is bring together different kind of elements to become to to present a, a, an unassuming, attractive surface, right? But conceal its lethal content inside um so and this is it's a design problem right like it's and it's a and it's a question of you have to imagine the world from from your praise point of view um right so i don't know traps traps and hunting and cleverness and, and cunning and you know society is a trap for human beings this way right like this is you know we're kind of ba- we're bound in different ways these double binds to each other to the family to our to our work, which sustain us sustains us, but also exploits us, and you know, like in this complicated set of agreements, which are I, I would say like they're half-hearted, right? They force us into luke, a, a lukewarm relationship with them because it's like, you know, we can't. I I, I don't know, like we we we're we're abused by them, but we have to enter them voluntarily, right? Like this is the Oedipal dimension, That's right? That's the discontent. That, that was the double bind. Yes. That, right. that, that civilization has us trapped in. And I think it's, it's what makes Freud so much gloomier when it comes to the, the outlook of the future than Marx. Right. And where you, I think you need Nietzsche as a counterpoint to sort of, sort of show you like, yeah, you can get down into the depths and gloominess and being, being among people for an extended period of time will do this to you. It will drain your, drain your energy that way, but you can, you can then retreat and you can, you can regrow and redevelop and overflow once again with sweetness right. and honey. You know, you, you have to take your, take your time with people, right? I don't know. Yeah, and, and with Freud, you know, it, it's interesting. You, you kind of brought up the, you talked about kind of hunting and trapping. And, yeah. And for Freud, the discontent in civilization and culture is partly due to the way that desire is captured there are traps and lures laid Hooks. for and potentially this is the function of civilization then is also 
it coincides with that function of sublimating desires and, and diverting them. That's that's a word that one of Freud's when he talks talks about either literally or in or in a roundabout way, he talks about detours. It's you know, desire drives have to be have to undergo these detours to be harnessed, right? That's part of what the apparatus of capture is doing. It's also diverting flows. It's not simply capturing them to hold on to them. It's 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 also diverting them in, in its own right. way. Right. You you use a rope to, mm-hmm. to bind an animal, but you also have to be able to orient yes. it to make it do useful work for you. Right. So you have to converge and die you have to divert perverse flows. Uh, and and this is Foucault is good about this, but Freud talks about it too, but these 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 techniques of discipline um, and moving from a from disciplining desire to to controlling it. What does control society imply? Deleuze is on this too. What is a society of surveillance that is now moved beyond mere discipline and gone towards this era of recording as you brought up earlier? Or, you know, yeah, passive discipline through ambient control of the security environment that surrounds you, right? Like, so giving you the same basic level guarantee but like you know now radically I, I don't know there's so many more dangers in a control society but uh let's let's take a break see the Jew as the stranger in a negative way or potentially negative way sure right? how is the Jew as stranger in its own you know in its right is it it's it's kind of even the nation-state is is the Jew right a Jew first or is he a citizen of you know and, and I think that that depends on the political macro structure around in my opinion I in America I I would assume or at least I see um, Jews, especially like practicing, they're Americans first, and so like because we have freedom of religion in that sense, which is a very modern thing. I mean, you know, even the Romans, you had a freedom for the Jews, but they had to become complicit with the empire, and in fact, did. That's what Jesus, yeah. Jesus was. No, no, no. Jesus had to operate in secret under oppressive regimes for a long time. It's part of the cultural heritage and wisdom of its faith tradition. Like brings yes. a lot of, a lot of that logic. And, and, and I mean that that is the prophetic logic of Judaism is foreseeing a future time where there's not people don't have to bind each other with oppression in order to, to get things done in a productive way. Which is why so much right. is bound up around the Israeli state, the state of Israel, and the. Uh, even outside of Judaism, there are a lot of Christians that are like, "Yeah, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and start the, you know, the end of the world." They're they're almost using. Dilly's talk somewhere about the mad rabbis in Israel and just sort of like how dangerous some of this theo nationalism can Designism can be. Or... Well, it's not. I mean, like. Lukudniks are not just I don't know like there's a there's okay it's, it's a more extremist form of 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, there's, I mean, in, in some ways, it's not much harder than the right here in the United States, but it's like for polar opposite theological reasons. And gotcha. it should make you worry when, like, the far right and in different faith traditions is like all agreeing on on something as like an interesting and useful and important thing to do. But um, I, I don't oh, know. Oh, the Temple of Jerusalem, or just sounds terrible. That sounds terrifying to me. But um, and there's, I, I mean, it would it would imply. What the resurrection of the priestly class, the the the, in, the the reinstallation of all the of all the old laws, and what the reestablishment of a kingdom? Like, what is the what is the end game? What is, what is the theological telos operating here? It doesn't feel like a, a sane one that's in tune with modern geopolitical dynamics. It it doesn't it doesn't feel to me to be a strategic. <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't know, but. But that's the thing. People are gonna people are gonna do whatever crazy thing they're gonna do. I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see. I mean, there's restorationists everywhere who who dream of of the perfect time before various you know aspects of modernity you know intersected their world at right angles and transformed things. Right? Make like, Israel and, great again. No. Well, I mean, it's it's you know I, I don't know make and and I think it's a bigger thing about like how do we make. Judaism great again a- after the catastrophes and just the the huge swath of destruction, right? Like, and how do we how do we re- revitalize, you know, a a a, a sense of of re- re- repairing a people, and it doesn't doesn't have to be a politically restorationist nationalist <laughs> policy of like oppressing, you know, like weaker people, right? Or at least people in a weaker geopolitical position, right? Like, I don't know. Like, this is sort of why why I hate the why I at least become very suspicious when all the right the far right orthodox hardline interpretations of different religions come together on something it's it's always on hateful cruel things you know about like I this land belongs to me because this book says so and I'm allowed to bulldoze your house right, right. like or we're going to stone all the gay people and of course we all agree that that's that's terrible it's like it's always like the most you know, I don't know. It's, again, it's like the hidden truth of religion, right? Beneath like these songs of love and light, there's often a, a lot of cruelty and kind of mo- moral vacuity at the heart of it, right? Like there's sort of just a lack of even spiritual right. clarity. I don't know, but I, you know, because just to throw in from my point of view, I always saw Judaism in its positive mode, not in its determinations by the by anti-Semites, but it. it it's a. It always seemed like it was a. Um, instead of make you know Judaism great again, it's it's make yeah. it otherwise again. And by otherwise, I mean you know not in conformity with the center like it were in Roman times. Um, they became complicit, and that's kind of the story of Jesus's death. Also, not necessarily just in antagonism with the state, as though um, that were the problem. It's this. It's this otherwise, not otherwise in itself. In this infinite becoming, but it's always seemed like this positive moment of it is otherwise than not reducible to the the, the status quo contemporary of, power structures. You're, you're right. talking about the prophetic, but also, prophetic, but also, micro, but, it, but it's it, the prophetic logic that animates the yeah. Well, I guess it's the the micro political yeah moment of of being being stranger, and that obviously gets them into trouble with fascist conservatives because that's the part that's being attacked it is its identity as other uh it's it was just an intrinsic difference but it's it's expressed 
um, in a but way I mean, that it, it, it's is funny. taken as hostile. When right. It's, I mean, it's, it's funny, right? Like, Judaism, again, it's like it's been around so long that it's like it's been full circle on a lot of these things many times, right? It's been the major modality. It's been a right. kingdom, right? Like, an oppress the, the poor Christians under its rule. If like, if, at least I imagine that's at least in print, I may, I may have timelines wrong where that's not possible, but like at least oppressed minority religions enforced a state religion at one point. And it's, 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 it is funny how Israel is Think like, about how they, they, they interact with the adherents of Baal or, uh, or, you know, how Moses reacts to those worshiping the golden calf. So it has been hostile to especially, you know, pagan polytheistic yeah, yeah, religions. Yeah. Although sometimes... And then you have Solomon, who whose many wives get him to start worshiping some of these local gods and goddesses. Uh, yeah, and, and, and yeah. It's, and an interesting. I just think it just doesn't get said enough of how interesting Solomon is in that aspect of. But you know, it's Solomon who's supposed to be the fulfillment of. He's the wise king. He's the philosopher king, right? That's that's supposed to be his his essence, and it's his wisdom that almost threatens the the internal difference of, of of monotheism of Yahweh as the as the god above all other gods yeah. that gets kind of threatened by no, Solomon. This is good. This is a very this is a potentially a very nice lens on the the splitting the child. Yes. Right? Um, anyway, sorry. But. Well, and the last thing I'll say is so for a long time after the Exodus from Egypt it is this uh, you know Moses is supposed to lead the followers the, in the, through the wilderness into Canaan, which will be come there, potentially their land, right? And will allow them to settle um, from their nomadic heritage. And so it is about setting up this kingdom. And then we do get good kings with David and um, with uh, Solomon after uh, Paul. Uh, no, sorry, his name's Saul. After Saul. But then, Doesn't Saul become Paul in the New Testament? There's more. Well, that's a different Saul. There's more name changes. Yeah. Well, uh, but yeah, that's why I was making the. But it's a callback because like there, then there's all these name changes as in, at important beats in the Old Testament. Abram and Abraham. Yes, Abram to Abraham. Yes. Jacob to Israel is the is the in fact the. But critical. That, does that does that become his his? I thought that would just become an alternate name. Is that what his name changes? Is, is it supposed to change? Yeah, no, that's the, that's to, the birth of the people. Right. Like, it's the people of Israel. Yes. The people of, and he be, he's the father of, of the 12 the, tribes. Of Jacob, right. Yes. And they are the people of and But they're not the people of Jacob. They're the people of Israel. And Right, of right. course. They're the tribes. They become the tribes of Israel. and uh, uh, But after the kingdom is set up, then you have these, if I remember correctly, you have the angry prophets coming and saying, like, you know, Israelites should not ever. We need to take the kingdom down. That that we don't. There was this movement against this despotic. That that kings become that. That they've set up their own right. Type there, of there definitely were oppressive kings in Judea at different okay. points, like. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is the one that jumps out. I think he's, but maybe he's not. Maybe oh, I he's thought he was. I thought he was Babylonian. Is right. It? Yes. I was supposed to say Sumerian so, Babylonian or something. Right. So that that was what I was saying earlier about the different. But there's definitely like yeah. tales that have been. Cl- and maybe this is a point to to bring up is like the the in sort of inherently textual collective dimension of the writings. There's even one section in the Old Testament that's just called Ketuvim. It's the writings. It's like the the nice pieces of writing people liked, and they were like, "Yes, that's interesting. Let's right. keep let's keep that in the 
it's it's a it's a huge archival ongoing practice practice and I feel like Christianity does it, but like they've established almost a police state around it, and like their their sects are based on like which which combination of these texts do you accept and in which order of primacy for their theological significance, and like that's yeah. the nature of the. I mean, would you had sectarianism of all different be having been having existed for so long, and I guess Christianity and Islam at this point too for centuries and centuries and. Um, there have been all, all sorts of schisms where they've experienced all different kinds of power struggles and like there's the wisdom of both sides of every argument encoded into them they're like this I mean I think this is like part of the kernel of why religions like are, are part of a predicate for collective intelligence right is because they sort of uh, collect and, and you know compact into a singularity right like these these pieces of knowledge information into this like highly most transmissible form and then like those are selected over time and those those writings are are refined and edited and tra translated and obviously they get transformed and mutated but that's part of part of their power there's almost a, a genomics at the, at the at the textual level you know that's sort of about mutation and evolution not just in transcription errors but but in terms of this gross selection of like what to cut and which things to put together and present as one text and how to how to form these these in framings these wrappers of different texts together and clearly some things haven't been added on at different times and like you can sort of do this analysis of the old testament i remember studying this about like where there's different authors and you can see that different authors wrote different pieces based on different aspects of of their of its stylometry right